At the cross where I first saw the light, the burdens of my heart rolled away, and there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. I can't help but smile when I sing that last uh, part of that hymn. I'm happy all the day. It's like, wow, yeah, I should be happy all the day at the cross where my sins were forgiven. Jesus paid it all. Amen. Well, we're leading up to that cross in Mark chapter 14, so please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Today we continue our journey through the book of Mark, and we are in chapter 14. We are entering the climax of the book of Mark, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Mark 14, we've seen the actions of Jesus' friends and his enemies, his foes, in his last days before his, <coughs> before his death, burial, and resurrection. We saw Mary's loving act of worship and sacrifice as she took the precious, costly oil and anointed Jesus with it as an act of love and worship. Maybe not even knowing she was anointing him for his burial, as he said she was doing. We've seen the religious leaders plot to kill him. We've seen Judas, one of the twelve, betray him. And today we will see all scatter and leave him. Last week we saw Peter's bold claim that he would never leave or deny Jesus. Even if he must die with Jesus, he would not die him, or his, uh, he would not leave him and not deny him. Those were his bold words. And all the other disciples said the same. We also saw the agony of Jesus as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we saw his wrestling and crying out to God to be spared the cup of God's wrath. Nevertheless, his ultimate desire was for the will of God to be done. And so he joyfully and obediently submits himself to the will of God and advances toward the cross. We've noted through it all that Jesus is in complete control. He's not surprised. He's not alarmed. All the events of his death, burial, and resurrection happen exactly according to his plan and his power. And today we will see the plot to kill Jesus unfold. And there's a strong theme in this section of text of abandonment and betrayal. And we'll see it in the whole remainder of the chapter, chapter 14. Jesus was abandoned by all. He was abandoned by denial of Peter, by the indifference of Peter, James, and John in the garden when they fell asleep when he'd asked them to watch and pray by the betrayal of Judas, which we'll see played out today, and by the remainder of his disciples fleeing when he is taken into custody. All of these things take place so that the scriptures will be fulfilled just as they were written. And Jesus will even say it, let the scriptures be fulfilled. And so we pick up in chapter 14 and verse 43 today. So look in your Bibles, chapter 14, verse 43. <coughs> We'll see the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. Verse 43 says this, And immediately while he was speaking, so he had told his disciples, Get up, let's go. And he's going to his betrayers. Immediately while he was speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, 
The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out as, ag as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. We'll pause there and work our way through this section of te uh, text. You can see in verse 43, a large crowd has come with clubs and swords. And look who they came from. You'd think, oh, you know, this was the Roman army dispatch, right? Well, it comes from the religious leaders. Amazing, isn't it? The religious leaders of the day? It, it would almost be like, you know, reading this is like, okay, and the pastors sent a large crowd with clubs and swords to capture them. Like, really? These are so, the religious leaders. Aren't they supposed to be the loving, kind, compassionate ones who are to love their neighbor as themselves? To love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's what the scriptures said. That's what the law says. And here they come out with clubs and swords, and they're sent from the religious leaders. You see that in verse 43. So there's clearly no uh, love involved in this act. <coughs> you see in verse 44, Judas is leading the way, one of the twelve. And he had given them a sign that he would identify Jesus by kissing him. It was a common greeting in those days, even in a lot of cultures today in our world. It's a common greeting. But how evil of Judas to use a kiss, a sign of love and care as his signal for betrayal. And the Greek literally indicates here that he kissed him much, so it wasn't just a quick one. I mean, he wanted to make it very clear. You know, so he's, he's engaging in this, and he's probably giving him the, on the right cheek and on the left, perhaps. I'm not exactly sure. It doesn't say but it's, it's clear who Jesus is and who Judas is, and he's signaling it very clearly. And even Jesus questions this. He, in Luke twenty two forty eight, which is a parallel passage, Jesus asks Judas, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And you might have heard that expression, you know, betrayed with a kiss. Well, it comes from here. There's a lot of expressions we have in our culture that really come back to the Bible. Sometimes we don't even know that they do, this one comes right from here. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. In verse 46 and 7, we see that they seize Jesus. They grab him. But we know from John that Peter is the one who drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. So we see that in the text. Peter draws his sword, and it's this confrontation. Peter draws the sword, and he strikes at the servant of the high priest. And he missed, because he wasn't trying to cut off his ear. <laughs> no, he was trying to hit him in the head. And the guy probably, you know, dodged it, and he got his ear instead. Now, is this what Jesus wants? Is this how he brings his kingdom to the earth? Not at all. 
Now, <clears throat> Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus didn't come to make war. He came to die himself. He came to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. He didn't come to take up the sword. He came to give his life. He came to die for you and for me. And so he, he rebukes Peter. He's like, put it, put it away, Peter. And we know from the other uh, Gospels that Jesus heals the servant's ear. And so Peter is told to put his sword away. Jesus heals the ear of Malchus, who's the, the servant. And they arrest him. They seize him. And then look at verses 48 and 49. Jesus now rebukes those who came out to arrest him. He says to them, did you come out as against a robber with swords to capture me? No, what, what's all the fuss? I was with you every day in the temples, in the temple, he said, teaching day after day, and you didn't arrest me. You know, why all this fuss now? Swords and clubs, a big crowd? You don't need to come armed as if I'm some kind of, you know, rebel soldier that's going to make a war against you. But they didn't arrest him in those times because it wasn't his time. And he, and he makes that clear. He says, all of this is happening now that the scriptures will be fulfilled. It's all happening right now according to God's eternal plan. And Jesus is in complete control of it. And you can see in the account in John, when they approach him, they actually, when, when he's identified as, who's, as who he is, they actually fall back. You can read that account in John. He's in complete control of what's going on here. And he willingly gives himself up to them. All according to God's plan. The only reason these men have any authority over Jesus at this moment is because it's been given them from God to accomplish his plan. We know that from John chapter 19. Now look at verse 50. And to me, verse 50 is one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. It's a very short verse. They all left him and fled. They all left him and fled. And we see just after that, one of them even ran away naked when they seized him to avoid being arrested. So this is a pretty dire situation. No one wants to be caught here. The ones, his disciples, who were so bold in saying, even if we have to die, Jesus, we will stand with you. We'll never deny you. We'll never leave you. Now they run away, and one of them is even fleeing with, with his, his garment was snatched, and he's, he's fleeing even naked, so he's not caught. This is a dire situation. And so they flee, and they all leave him. And in this, we see echoes of uh, Amos chapter 2. Amos chapter 2 writes of, of a similar situation. Amos chapter 2, verse 13 says, Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life, and he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord." And so all have fled, all have left him. 
texts of the scriptures would be fulfilled. This, this whole scene reminds me of a, a personal experience that I had years ago. I had a, a neighbor who uh, falsely accused me. And I had na- other neighbors that were witnesses to say, you know, they would say, you know, you know, we know what, what she's saying is wrong. And, and no, you know, if, if, you, if you end up going to court over this, then we'll stand with you. One by one, these other neighbors, oh, yeah, I'm with you. Absolutely, I'll stand with you. And so I was very encouraged by that. And I'm shortening the story. And so the day came when I actually did have to go to court. And one by one, those neighbors did, wouldn't come. They wanted to protect their reputations. One was joining up uh, into the army. And, oh, if something, ever, if something got out and this got on my record somehow, uh, it would impede me, uh, you know, getting my officer's commission in the army. So I can't, I can't go with you to the court. Wow. Like, ooh, wow. That's disappointing. Another was a prominent leader at a local college. He's like, oh, no, well, you know, uh, if something ever got out in the papers about this, this might affect my, uh, my career as the president of the college. So, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry. I, I won't be able to go with you. And one by one, those who had so boldly proclaimed that they would stand with me in that day of trial in the court fell away. And I was so reminded of this exact scene that Jesus experienced. Now, what I was experiencing wasn't anything close to what Jesus is experiencing. I mean, he's going to die. My experience wasn't anything near that level of severity. But it just reminds me of this. You know, everything, when everything is safe and comfortable, we're very bold, aren't we? And like we talked about last week, we don't really know ourselves as well as we think we do. And when everything is safe and comfortable, we're very bold. Yes, I will stand. I will fight. I will be strong. I will be faithful. But when we're faced with the difficulty, when we're faced with the circumstance, with the situation, oftentimes we don't do things exactly the way we hoped we would. And I don't hold that against those neighbors, you know. They did what they thought was right. And I knew, sitting in that courtroom alone, that my church family was praying for me. (laughs) And I had God's word right there with me. And I read the Psalms and was comforted. And I knew people were praying for me because text messages were coming in one after another. We're praying for you. We're praying for you. And thankfully, you know, the Lord worked, and, you know, the whole thing was cleared up, and there was actually a judgment against the wrongful accuser that worked out well that day, and I praise God for that. But it just reminded me of, you know, this scene, and, and to look in at myself even, and, you know, don't think you're, you're, you're stronger than you really are. Uh, we all need the Lord, and we all need to look to him, and we all need to humble ourselves and lean on him and not trust in man that was another thing that i was reminded of you know don't trust in men the bible says that often right don't trust in princes don't trust in horses trust in the name of the lord our god and so in this situation jesus is there they've come even those who were the most bold who were with him the most saw him touched him heard his voice saw the miracles they all fall away, and he's left alone, and he's taken away. He's arrested. Let's look at verse 53. 
Then they lead Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none, for many bore a false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he, Jesus, remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ? the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy, and the guards received him with blows. And so we can see in verse 53, we're distinctly told that all, chief pri- all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes were assembled. This is, this is the, the whole assembly of the Sanhedrin. That was the, the group of religious leaders at the time. They've all come together against Jesus. So this is the scene. The scene cuts over now to the home of the high priest where Jesus is being accused. And we see in verse 54 that Peter, although he fled initially, he's still following, but he's at a little bit of a distance. So he doesn't want to be associated with Jesus directly. So he's following at a little bit of a distance. And we know from the book of John that both Peter and John followed Jesus after they initially fled. They initially fled, and then both of those two followed. John a little bit closer than Peter. And it was through John that Peter gained access to the courtyard of the high priest. You can see this in John chapter 18. So John has access to the high priest's home. Somehow he has a relationship there. And he asked that Peter can have access. And so the servant girl lets Peter come into the courtyard. And then we see in verses 55 through 59, these four verses, various false testimonies given against Jesus. Many bore false witness against them, but their stories didn't agree at all. (coughs) Some claimed that he would destroy the temple. And this is an allusion to what Jesus said back in John uh, chapter 2, verse 19, when he said, break down this temple and in three days I'll build it up. And some of the Jews who had heard Jesus say this, they just misinterpreted it as if he referred to nothing else than the physical structure of the temple. But that's not what he was talking about. He had just cleansed the temple, and he, he respected the temple. He wasn't going to destroy it with his hands. No, he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. We see that in John chapter 2, verse 21. And isn't this how rumors start, right? Someone hears something, and then they misinterpret it. They even probably mishear it, and then they go around talking about it, like that telephone game you play like at parties and stuff, right? Starts out over here as one thing, and by the end, it's like some ridiculously different thing, right? It's a fun game to play, but this is how rumors and gossip work in real life. 
You know, did you hear the one about so-and-so? Did you hear one about Jesus? I heard him say he's going to tear down the temple with his bare hands and rebuild it in three days. Can you believe he disrespects the temple like that? And on and on it goes. Like, that's, never, that's not even what, exactly what he said, and it's not what he meant at all. And we start telling ourselves stories, right, in our own minds, and we tell stories to other people, and they're grossly untrue. They're not based on any facts at all. They're stories. And our stories are almost always very wrong. Very wrong. That's the danger and evil of gossip and rumors. And so look at what the false witnesses do. They misinterpret and misquote Jesus. Their implication here is that he disrespected the temple. Clearly not true. He had just cleansed it, and what did he say? He declared it once again to be a house of prayer for all nations. <laughs> he had high respect for the temple, a lot higher respect than they did. And look at verse 60. See Jesus' response to all this? Wouldn't it be logical for him to stand up and defend himself? Wouldn't it be logical for any reasonable, rational human being to stand up and say, no, you got it all wrong. I didn't say that. I said this. But look at Jesus' response. He's silent, verse 16. <clears throat> He's silent. During all the false accusations, he makes no answer to them. He just lets them talk. His silence at this point is similar to the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, 7, which says this, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He gives no answer at this point. But he is going to give an answer in just a moment. And when he does, it's an atomic bomb. And we're about to see what it is. Look at verse 61 and 62. So the high priest is getting impatient. Jesus isn't answering. The testimony isn't lining up. Thing, he's, this isn't going as smoothly as he had hoped. And so he just asks him plainly, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And look at Jesus' answer here. Verse 62. I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Boom! There it is. That's the answer. That's the atomic bomb declaration that changes the shape of human history. That answer. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus claims he is the Son of Man, described in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And the first words he uses there in the Greek, ego me, I am. That's God. He's saying, I am, I'm God. And he quotes to them the, the words from Daniel 7.13. And Daniel wrote this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's the way in which Daniel had seen the coming Redeemer. 
And it was the way that David sung about him in Psalm 110 when he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's also the way Jesus had described himself to his disciples and others. And now he declares clearly to the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin, I am the Son of God. I am. Now we see the hypocrisy of the high priest become very clear. He tears his garments. He cries out as if he's overwhelmed with grief. Just as Reuben did when returning to the pit, when he noticed Joseph was no longer there. There are other instances of biblical characters tearing their clothes in an expression of grief throughout the scriptures. So he's either faking his grief here in order to manipulate the crowd, or he's doing this out of anger, or perhaps both. And as he did, he asks his audience, what do we need any more witnesses for? In other words, why continue to search for witnesses when we're all witnesses now? You've heard the blasphemy, he declares. And he's using the word blasphemy here in the most grave sense. So Jesus is representing himself here as the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. And he's claiming that he is God, and then the high priest just can't, he can't stand it can't stand it, and none of the others can either. <coughs> so we're all confronted with this, with this moment, with this truth. Either Jesus is indeed God, the Son of God, in the fullest sense of that term, or he's guilty of blasphemy. He's insane. And such blasphemy is punishable by death, according to Leviticus 24. And we're all confronted with that same question, that same truth. When Here's the truth. Jesus is the Son of God. Believe in him and have eternal life. And we're all faced with that truth. What are we going to do with that truth? Are we going to believe it and trust it and love him and worship him? Or will we cry blasphemy or insanity or rebel against that, kick against it? We're all faced with that truth. The response of that crowd in that time was against him, clearly. Caiaphas and the others chose the second alternative. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. And so we're all faced with that choice. Life or death. Grace or wrath. What is your choice today? Who do you see Jesus as? Who do you say that Jesus is? Earlier, Peter, when asked by Jesus, you know, who do you say that I am? Peter had it right. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. But here, this crowd, they spit on him. They strike him. They mock him. And these words are echoes of Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, which says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I did not hide my face from disgrace and spitting. So they blindfold him. They start hitting him. Prophesy, who hit you? You're the son of God. You know all these things. You can tell us who hit you. And they spit in his face and they hit him. And now they will seek to kill him. 
Look at verse 66. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, Oh, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But he denied it again. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now the scene shifts in verse 66 to Peter. He's below in the courtyard. He's warming himself by the fire. He's staying at a safe distance so far, so he thinks, but close enough to keep up with what's happening. Now the servant girl who let him in at John's request calls out. He ca she calls him out as being with Jesus. And remember what Jesus said. Peter, you, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. You're going to do it. And he does. Peter denies that he knows anything about Jesus. And she calls him out again. This time to the others standing in the same area. So you can imagine Peter's getting sort of frightened at this point. And he denies Jesus again. I don't know or understand what you mean. Each time he is accused of being a Jesus follower, he denies the accusation more strongly. The third time, he even invokes a curse on himself and swears that he doesn't know Jesus. So he's using very strong language here, putting himself under a curse and under an oath. Very strong language here. There's great terror in Peter's heart. He's afraid. And this is, it's such a sad scene to watch play out. You know, he loves Jesus dearly. He'd even planned to fight for him. He's the one who took the sword and tried to strike the servant of the high priest. You know, he was ready even to fight to death. But now in these circumstances, he's just overcome with fear. Every word he says here is emphatic. He denies knowing G who Jesus is or anything about him. And I don't know anything about this person that you're talking about. This is the same Peter, though, who, when filled with the Holy Spirit, will say to those who arrest him for preaching the gospel that we must obey God rather than men in Acts chapter 5. So there's hope for Peter, and there's hope for you and me. <laughs> in our greatest times of weakness, we cry out to God, help me, Jesus. Fill me with your spirit. Give me strength to stand. And he does, and he will hold you, just as he did Peter in Acts chapter 5. And so Peter denies Jesus three times, and then the rooster crows the second time. And Peter remembers what Jesus said. It all takes place just as Jesus said it would happen, so clearly, so exactly. All of this breaks Peter's heart. He breaks down and he weeps. He breaks down and he weeps. 
And, you know, I was thinking about this. I'm like, you know, we've all had times, those of us who are older, we've all had times where we've probably denied Jesus. I know I have. Those of you who are younger, if you haven't had those times yet, they will come. They were all, there will be times of persecution. There will be times when you are tempted to deny Jesus. It will happen. And I read about situations like this often in reports of persecuted Christians throughout the world uh, from this ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. I brought one of their publications up here just so you could see it. Uh, this is a ministry to persecuted Christians throughout the world. And so this type of persecution and difficulty, you know, we don't see it much in our culture here in the United States. You know, it's pretty soft here. Sometimes we have, you know, we made to feel bad because we love Jesus or someone might not, you know, get favor at a job or anything like that. These people, they face death. You know, they're in situations like this one where, you know, Peter was, would have probably died also if he had stood up and boldly stood for Jesus in that moment. These people face death. They don't know if they're going to live the next day. Why? Because they love Jesus. That's it. That's the only reason. Because they have faith in Jesus. I want to share a, a couple of those stories in, as I close. Because this does still happen today. We are persecuted for the sake of the gospel. We are confronted with what our thoughts are about Jesus. And uh, how we respond matters. On January 2nd, these are very recent accounts. January 2nd in Pakistan, a Christian man who lost his job after refusing to convert to Islam is currently in hiding after receiving death threats. Asif, who was va a valued supervisor at a garment factory, used to be a leader of 10 coworkers, so he was a manager. <coughs> and he would also have a prayer time with uh, people at his work uh, before work every morning. A couple of years ago, the factory owner approached him and, and told him to stop the prayers, okay? Stop this gathering people for prayers. But instead, Asif gave him a Bible to read so he could learn about Christianity. Several months later, the owner brought an Islamic cleric in to persuade Asif to accept Islam, but Asif refused. This year, the owner tried to force Asif to other Muslim prayers with him, to offer Muslim prayers with him, but Asif still didn't give in. Finally, in August, the owner gave him an ultimatum. Accept Islam or lose your job. Nasif replied, my God will provide me with everything. And so guess what? He was fired. He lost his job. And so the request is this. Pray for Asif and his family who had to leave their home after receiving death threats. Pray, pray also that Asif will find a new job. This is in Pakistan. And so if you're known to be a Christian in Pakistan, it's pretty tough to find a job. You can read about this story on iCommitToPray.com. There's a whole list of these. They update them regularly. And I'd encourage you to do that and to pray for Asif and his family. And so here's an example. Reject Jesus or lose your job. And so he chose boldly, God's going to provide for me. January 9th, not too long ago, China. More than a year after police arrested 100 believers and shut down their church, the members of the Early Reign Covenant Church continue to face harassment and threats. In late December, senior pastor Wang Yi was sentenced to nine years in prison 
while his wife and child remained under house arrest. Other elders are currently serving four-year prison sentences, and authorities took four adopted children away from church members and placed the children in other homes. Continue to pray for members of Early Rain Covenant Church, especially those in prison. So, you know, Pastor Rob and Pastor Jared, you know, there may be a day we're going to jail for this, for preaching God's word. That's all these guys were doing. Nine years in prison for, for one of the pastors, four years for the elders, currently in prison. Families taken away. Families also arrested. But they're standing strong for Jesus. They're not denying their faith. That's going on in China, all over China right now. January 9th also, Laos. Mrs. Kuhn, who came to faith in Christ last year, loves to listen to a Christian radio program that broadcasts sermons and other Christian teaching in her language. Her husband has always opposed her Christian faith, and his harassment, including beatings, has grown more severe. He recently gave her an ultimatum, stop going to church or leave the house. So she chose to leave, taking two of their five children with her. But her husband is fighting to get the children back. Pray that she'll be able to keep her two children with her and she'll be safe. It's happening right now in Laos. Pray for Mrs. Kuhn and her family. And there are hundreds of stories just like these at ICommitToPray.com. And so I close with this. We will all be faced with that time, with that question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? And how you answer that question determines all of eternity. Trust in him and have eternal and abundant life. Don't deny him. Don't deny him. So those of you in this room that haven't trusted in him, trust in him today. Have eternal and abundant life. He came that you can have life and life abundantly. And for those of us who have trusted, let's be strong in our faith. In the moments where we're tempted to deny Jesus, let's stand strong and stand with him. And just simply reply, I love Jesus. I trust him. That's all it takes. I love Jesus. I trust him. And let's not be afraid of what man can do to us. Let's stand strong in our faith. Let's believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Son of God, that he has been given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should, ser should serve him. Let's believe that his dominion is everlasting and will not pass away, and that through faith in him we have eternal life. I was reminded back in the first part of this chapter of Mary's act of love and worship. Let's act, let's have Mary's heart in this situation. Let's, let's have love and worship in our hearts as Mary did and strength to stand with Jesus in times of persecution. And let's do all of this for the glory of our God and Father. Amen.